Welcome to CTU Speaks CPD at a CPS. Homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher. I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher, so I'm inspired by the fight from my Chicago teachers. I'm your co-host, Andrea Parker, and I am joined with... Jim Staros. How you doing today there, Miss Parker? I'm doing pretty good, all things considered. Yeah, been a lot of stuff going on in the news. A lot of stuff going on in the news, and I see why people say they don't watch the news. I used to be a critic of people who don't watch news, despite of how bad it can be. I'm like, how could you not watch the news? I mean, it's information. I don't care how bad it is. You need to be up on it to know what's going on in the world. I agree. Being a government teacher, you know, that's one of the things I always had my students do, but I can see where people just get so frustrated with all the horrible things that are happening in the news with the police and police brutality and everything that's been going on. It's getting super crazy. It is getting super crazy. It's beyond crazy. But what I am liking to see is that people are fed up. They're showing that they're fed up and they are taking action. I'm not necessarily for every action, but I am for peaceful action. I love the protest. I love people who are doing podcasts, including you and me. Mm-hmm. I like that people are getting more involved with their aldermen. Um, they're making speeches. They're sta- you know, just staging sit-ins and they just doing a lot of things. So I'm glad that this issue that has been long in the making for centuries of um, police brutality um, to people of color, especially African-Americans, that people are fed up and they are tired and they are becoming activists. So I do appreciate that aspect. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's obvious that things are ready for a change. We cannot keep going on the status quo the way it is. And, you know, and particularly here in CPS, however you feel in general about the defunding of police, I think at least we can agree that having cops in the schools is not the best use of money or ability to deal with the kids in that way. Not at all. I think there should be definitely more investment in programs and counselors, psychologists, nurses in our schools. We spend nearly $33 million, in some cases, maybe even more on police officers stationed in schools where the primary purpose of schooling is to educate, not feel like you are a criminal when you walk into the building, I mean, before you even walk into the building, police officers are just standing outside your school. That's right. So what does that say to our students? No, I, I completely agree. And I know you, uh, you, Ms. Parker, I heard you were at a rally about this down at uh, at your alma mater at Hyde Park. I was. I was at Hyde Park Academy yesterday on a Sunday, and I was so impressed with the graduating class of 2020. Um, they put a protest or march on, I should say, because they are also fed up with the influx of police officers at their school. Um, sometimes they can have five or six. My son graduated from Hyde Park and he said there were a few fights, you know, of the year, but nothing that warranted police officers there day in and day out. And I'm just going to bring it home a little bit. I went to Hyde Park and I graduated in the class of 1998, the best class HP. Mm-hmm. So when I went, Hyde Park Academy was called Hyde Park Career Academy. There was a lot of investment in a lot of trade um, programs like welding, architecture, a lot of woodshop programs. We had radio TV. We had an award-winning newspaper, which I was one of the writers or reporters. Um oh. We had, you know, of course, yearbook. We had swimming, just basically the things that a school should have. 
But now when my son graduated last year in 2019, there was no swimming classes. The, the, the pool was the pool was empty. There was not, no, no water in the pool, no swimming teacher. There was no yearbook teacher. My son graduated in 2019 without a yearbook because the principal said they could not afford a yearbook teacher. They don't have radio TV. They don't have uh, an award-winning newspaper. They don't have a newspaper at all. They don't have bowling. Like we have, we they we have bowling clubs. They don't have welding. They don't have architecture. And the list goes on and on. And you have all this money to put police officers in a building, but you don't have money for these these sources, these other resources right. to educate. My son had to share counselor with the whole building. One of the girls who ran the march said that there are kids who had thoughts of suicide and even the counselors there, oh the few they gosh. had were not even trained in that. And definitely police officers were not trained in that. And so I could not even imagine a child who's suffering with that type of depression and they may act out. And then you have a police officer dealing forcefully with them when all they needed was somebody to deal with them emotionally. Right. And to meet that need. And so I was there and I am all for defunding police because they're not trained properly to deal with our youth. And they, we, our children need more investment in education. Our children need to walk in school in fear, thinking they're criminals. And you have police officers standing around. I'm not saying they're not have a purpose. I do believe police officers do have a purpose, but I don't think their primary purpose needs to be inside of a school building, walking halls when schools already have security officers who are trained to de-escalate and who already have relationships with the children in the building. No, that's 100% right. I mean, you and I are not allowed to teach a course that we're not trained for. That's true. Everybody in the building needs to be trained for dealing with what they're dealing with on a daily basis. Yes. And the police officers, right or wrong, they are not trained to do this. Correct. We need to have people in the building that are trained to deal with, as you said, a, a student that might be having emotional difficulties to the point of suicide. Yeah. Or maybe we can have counselors there so it doesn't even get that far. Correct. We could catch a kid like this so it doesn't get to the point where they're feeling that desperate that there's nothing left left for them to live. And exactly. They, they're a teenager. They got their whole life ahead of them and they think it's already over. Police officers are not going to fix that in the uh, school buildings. We need to make sure we've got the services the kids need. And, and what is the mayor thinking or what is our board thinking that we need to spend $33 million to have police in the schools? Do you think our children are criminals? Do you think they're violent? Do you think they pose a threat to other people or to the teachers? That's not true. And I know a lot of children in CPS, they do not. Please reinvest that money in counselors, nurses, psychologists who can prevent things before they escalate to something dangerous. Exactly. And to that end, we've got two wonderful guests. We've got Kent Martin, a science teacher, and Denzel Sanders, a security guard, both at Robert Fulton Elementary, where Miss Andrea Parker works. Yes. Maybe we'll get some uh, inside scoop on what Miss Parker does on a daily basis Ooh, in school. So just listen. And you think we're going to just talk about, share their thoughts on policing and what the police should and should not look like. Uh, when it comes to our students. We are here today to talk about a very sensitive topic, and that topic is policing, especially how we police in the Chicago public schools. 
Um, this is a hidden pandemic. And I'm not just talking about COVID-19. I'm talking about the police brutality, especially those of color and predominantly African-American males. I can go on and on about such names as Freddie Gray, Philando Castillo, Sandra Bland, Laquan McDonald, and those who did not hold an imminent threat. This year, there has been a lot others. And we're talking about people like um, Mark Aubrey, um, Breonna Taylor, um, George Floyd, and most recently, uh, Rayshard Brooks. So we are joined with two Chicago Public School educators who are in the schools and they have relationships with our students and they have an idea of what is best for our children. And they're going to share their opinions of policing as it relates to our school, because many people are on this idea of defunding police. We're going to talk about what that means, defunding police, because some people may not totally understand what that means. But we do want to hear from our um, educators today. So we have two men. They're going to talk about their experiences and what they think is best when it comes to policing and how our students should be treated in reference to so police. So I'm going to have my guests introduce themselves. Just tell us your names, where you work, and why you decided to be an educator for the Chicago Public Schools. So I can go ahead and start. First of all, I'd like to thank you guys for having me on, uh, myself and uh, Mr. Sanders. Uh, my name is Kent Martin, and uh, I'm a science teacher at Robert Fulton Elementary. Um, I have, uh, been with CPS now for three years and, uh, I decided to get into education for a number of reasons. Uh, one, I recognized that there was a need for males in education, specifically black males, uh, and males of color. And, uh, you know, the field of education is predominantly made up of women and they do an amazing job and that's not to take anything away from them. Um, but I just thought it was important for men to be present and represented. So, um, you know, particularly for young men of color uh, that we serve. So just to give you some statistics, there's like less than 700 male teachers, uh, black male teachers in a district of over 21,000 educators. So that's less than 1% of, of our educators that are black males. And our student body is 36% black per CPS's website. That statistic comes from the Chicago Tribune. So to me, that's a problem. And so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get into education. And uh, further, um, I was also aware of the inequities that exist in urban education from, um, you know, as it relates to their peers in, um, uh, you know, suburban districts. And uh, I wanted to be a part of the solution. Um, you know, we're obviously still working on developing a solution to to um, close the gap there, but um, that was something that was important to me to be a part of. All right, thank you so much, uh, Kent, for sharing that. My name is Denzel Sanders. I'm security at Robert Fulton as well. Uh, I've been there for 12 years now. Uh, I originally got into education, honestly, by chance. I lucked up on a job uh, and I've been there for 12 years doing it. So after having sons, then I realized um, that I was needed in the school as far as a role model and to help teach in any ways that I could teach. You know, I'm not in the classroom, but I could teach other ways. And so, Denzel, you have three sons that go to Chicago Public Schools, right? Yes. And what are your son's ages? Um, my oldest son is 15. My youngest two are nine and seven. Okay, awesome. 
And so in the light of the federal attacks, again, as I said before, Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, um, really, and George Floyd, which all the marches have been close related to. And then over the weekend, we had another shooting of Rashard Brooks, who was just sleeping in a Wendy's and he was arrested and he was shot in the back. Um, these people who, who did not pose a threat because of that, it just makes me think about what is your feeling about police conduct in America, especially to those of color and even teens? And this question can go to both of you guys. Well, I feel like right now it's harsh. It's very harsh um, because a person of color and a person not of color can commit the exact same crime, but get a totally different reaction from the police. Like you said, the young man that was just killed Friday in Atlanta was intoxicated, sleep in a Wendy's parking lot. He was eventually shot and killed. But had that not been a person of color, would he have been shot and killed? With even the response, right? With even the response of him being arrested, been there. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I sit and show those video, those type of videos to my oldest son the most, just to show him, you know, the outcome of certain stuff. You know, even though the man, to me, in a video, did everything that the police asked him to do, the whole field sobriety test and everything, and he just kept saying, I'm down the street from where I'm going. Right. I just didn't want to drive. You know, mm-hmm. he was intoxicated. He, he knew he was. He told the police he was. And he still did every test that they wanted to do. And you eventually killed him. I just feel like the police are right now. They're just being harsh and not showing any type of compassion. Mm-hmm. Ken, what are your thoughts? Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like over the decades, things have changed, but a lot of things have remained the same. And uh, we know as uh, people of color, we, we know that a lot of the things that we're seeing are things that have already been going on in our communities. Right. We're just so I just want to emphasize that we know that now we're at a, at, at a point in time where we find ourselves in a position where we're able to record and broadcast. And these things become viral uh, in no time. These types of scenarios um, that uh, black men and women are finding themselves in uh, with with police officers. And so I, I think police, I, I agree with uh, uh, Denzel 100%. I think police departments are are over-policing and they're policing with aggression. And that's evident in, in, in what you're seeing. I mean, you know, when you look at the George Floyd situation um, and what those officers did uh, to George Floyd, uh, you know, he was, he was already handcuffed and he was on his belly. So to have... Mm-hmm. Uh, your knee on a man's neck when he's already in a compromised position where he's not necessarily, he doesn't pose a threat to anyone uh, seems that's, that's what Denzel's talking about. And that's what, what I mean when we're talking about uh, being overly aggressive and being overly harsh. Um, And so uh, I think that that goes to, you know, we've seen that there's been uh, uh, a militarization of police uh, policing. Uh, particularly in black and brown communities. I mean, and and it's not just in black and brown communities. I mean, and I think that this is something that everybody should be concerned about, not just people of color. I mean, because when you have when you have small rural police departments with tank like uh, vehicles and battering rams, and they can go from a, a run of the mill police department to a small platoon and. and in an hour's time, that's just to me. That's 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 unacceptable, and that's um, 
That's using, in my opinion, well, wartime tactics on your own uh, citizenry. And I just don't see the, I don't see the need for that. And um, I think that we're especially seeing that in communities of color uh, around the country. No, I think those, those are some good points. I mean, you've got, why, why do we need that kind of militarization? And it shows the kind of training they've got. They're coming into a situation looking for an enemy and they are not trained to do this correctly. And another good point Kent just made is that, you know, this is not new. It's just newly visible because of the technology we've got. This is not something all of a sudden that four or five, six years ago, this just started happening. This has been happening for decades, sadly for centuries, this has been going on, you know, and, and this is just, and now everybody's like shocked. Well, let me rephrase that. Not everybody's shocked. But the people who are currently being shocked by this are the people who it's not been affecting directly. And now that it's being in the news, it's on social media, and as you said, gone viral, now everybody seems to have woken up to the fact that this has been going on for so long, and this is not the way we treat our our own people in our own community. It's true. And in reference to when it comes to teens, I know that Denzel said he has a 15 year old son. And just thinking about, again, how we police students, even in school and how and what is the feeling? Do children feel safer with police officers and do they know how to interact even with um, students? So, Ken, I know that you told me before about a time that you felt that when you were a teen, how you felt that you were unfairly pulled over. Can you explain the incident? Uh, yeah. And these are the types of scenarios that our, our young men and women um, around the country, but uh, particularly in the city of Chicago, they find themselves in these situations fairly often, I'm sure. But um, so uh, what you and I talked about uh, was a situation where I was on my way home from work. I want to say I was about 17 years old and I was on my way home from work. I worked at a, a local car wash at the time. It was like a Friday or Saturday night. It was, it was, you know, fall heading into winter and we had, you know, we used to wear these full body jumpsuits, you know, with the half zip up and, you know, you have your hat on because you'd be out there all day, um, drying down these cars as they came out of the wash. And so it was a long day for me, but of course I'm, I'm 16, 17. So even though it was a long day, I'm, I was, I was just getting going, right? I'm on my way home and, uh, I was pulled over. Um, I would say at the time I was just, I was, literally about five minutes away from my house. This didn't take place in the city of Chicago. I grew up in the Northwest suburbs. And so um, uh, I'll leave the suburb name out of it. But (laughs) uh, but, uh, so uh, it's a small police department though. And so I I was pulled over. Officer came up to my window. Uh, Second officer, well, he, he actually sat in the car for some time and uh, before he approached me at all. So left me wondering what was happening. You know, so it kind of letting the suspense build a little bit. And then a second car pulled up and I realized he was waiting on somebody else to pull up. And so he got out of the car and, and he approached my window. And, uh, you know, we had a, a core of the conversation. I asked him, you know, why he, you know, pulled me over. And he said that uh, I was I was uh, driving above the speed limit. And I said, OK, uh, you know, I apologize. And, you know, here's my license and registration and everything <laughs> like that. And uh, he left the vehicle. And of course, he left me sitting there again for some time. And um, second officer came up and stood at the other side of my car uh, at the passenger front passenger side. And he stood there for some time. And uh, while the other officer was, I imagine, running my information. But the, the other officer was um, 
you know, flashlight. It was, it was probably about dusk. And so he's in looking at my car, looking in the back seat and things like that. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering like, what's this all about? The uh, uh, original officer comes back to my window and he says, Hey, um, we'd like to search your car. And I was immediately taken back and I'm like, well, I don't understand. You just said I was speeding. Why, why would you need to search my car? And he said, well, it's just sort of, uh, you know, common procedure. It's, it's no big deal. You know, if you don't have anything to hide, you don't have anything to worry about. And of course I, I didn't have anything to hide. And I, I, so I think being naive, I thought to myself, well, Hey, like it, it it's Friday night, it's Saturday night. Like I'm looking to get to where I got to go. And I knew I didn't have anything to hide. Um, so I, 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 sure, you know, I, not something I want to do, but I'm trying to get out with my night. So I got out of the car, um, uh, two other officers pulled up at this point. So mind you, um, there's about four officers on the scene. I would guess that that was probably in this size town. That was probably at least a third to <laughs> half of the police officers that they had on, <laughs> that they had on, on duty at that time. Uh, yeah. So I sat on the curb. The officers were uh, white officers, with the exception of one who was uh, Hispanic, I think uh, likely Mexican. And uh, I don't know if it was purposeful that they sent him over, but he came over to talk to me. And uh, as I was sitting on the curb, you know, no big deal. He says, we're just, you know, checking your car and you'll be on your way. You don't have anything to hide, et cetera. Yeah. So we sat there for some time. I mean, and they really, by the time I actually went back to my car and they said I could be on my way, I mean, my car was basically ransacked at this point. Um, you know, the dashboard was emptied onto the front seat and the floor. Um, center console was, it looked like somebody broke into my car basically. So they sent me on my way. I went home and, uh, you know, my dad was extremely upset. He was upset with me for one, for letting them search my car and putting my night above you know, I guess what he felt was, you know, my my sort of my pride and dignity at that point. And I understand it now that I look back at it. That's an sort of an undignified way to to be as people drive by. Those are people in the community with which you live in. People may know your car. People may see you specifically. And here you are on the side of the road while you've got four officers that are, are uh, basically ransacking your car. So he was upset. He was upset with them for uh, the number of officers that they brought about, the fact that they asked to search my vehicle um, and without probable cause. There was no reason. I was just on my way home from work. I was minding my business. It's not like I was driving, you know, 25 over the speed limit. I think it was simply maybe about five miles or so over the speed limit, typically, which most people wouldn't even get stopped for. I didn't get a ticket. So that shows you that. That was sort of secondary uh, in their mind, and they sent me on my way. So uh, I think, Andrea, you and I uh, talked about this as I, in, in hindsight, I would I would never have let them do that because we hear stories all the time. They could have easily, you know, and there's people I'm sure that have found themselves in these situations. They could have uh, planted something in my car. They could have been trying to reach a quota of some kind. I don't know. And those things seem like things that happen in the movies, but I don't want to find out. And I could have very, I could have very easily have found out on that day. And, you know, uh, thank God I did, you know, in hindsight, I, I definitely made a mistake that I would discourage any of my students from making and, and, uh, you know, 
if I had children of my own, I would discourage them from making that as well and let them understand that you have rights. And that's not something that anybody can just do. That's true. And, what, and what's kind of shocking to me also, Ken, is that they by them seeing your license, they knew how old you were. They knew that you were not an adult. They knew you did not pose a threat. And it's like they did not show that mercy on you. And being uh, an African-American and Hispanic young male, you are de- who would not be intimidated by all these officers at your car. You don't know how to respond. You know, we want to tell our children, right, we want, we want them to ask questions and know their rights. But we know that even when you're doing everything right, even when you're asking questions respectfully, it can still end in a dangerous way. So I, I don't necessarily think you made a bad choice in what you did. Uh, sometimes we got to do what we got to do to survive. But unfortunately, uh, as Denzel stated earlier, you can be a white person, then a person of color, and you can do the exact same thing. You can do the right thing, but the outcome can still be different. And it's unfortunate. And it just shows you that uh, police officers, unfortunately, either they're not trained to deal properly with children or they are trained properly to deal with children and they choose not to abide or practice that training. And both of those are a scary thought. Um, I'm going to say my story really quickly. I have a very embarrassing story. When I was 14 years old and I was just hanging on the block, it was this guy I was dating. He was 16 and two police officers just came out of nowhere. They started searching him and his friend. It was him and his friend and I would just stand on the block. They were 16. I was 14. And they started searching and saying, what they say? What are drugs at? What are drugs at? And it was like, we don't have any drugs on us. And it just went in their pocket. And these are kids. They're 16 year old. I'm 14 again. And he said, he just, uh, they were going in their pockets. And I was like, what you're doing? And he was like, shut up. This don't got anything to do with you. Sit on the curb. And, you know, again, I'm intimidated. It's like you were. And so I said, I just do what I'm told. And they're, you know, checking them. They didn't find any drugs. They found, you know, some twenties on them. And I was like, you know, and I had, I was, uh, so I was like, see, there's, they don't have any, you know, I'm just being, you know, smart. Now I'm like, see, they don't have any drugs on them. So I'm searching them. I had a um, blue snowball that day and I had just finished a snowball. And so the police got smart with me after my comment. And he said, which one of their genitals are blue? And again, I'm a 14 year old child. And this is how he talks to me. And so that was one of my, that was a second negative experience, the police and I just cannot believe that this is how you address a child and you are an adult police officer. And so it is hard sometimes for teenagers to trust the police thinking that they have their best interest at heart when they are addressed in that capacity, especially when they're not doing anything wrong. So that that's kind of leads to my next question in talking about just police officers in the school. So we know that about a year ago, a 16-year-old girl was dragged down the stairs and being tasered twice. And so what do you all think about just having police officers in our school? Is it, do you think that it creates a culture of calm or not? So yeah, that's my question. Well, I believe having police in the schools puts the kids in a more tense state, that they're, they're more on edge having the police there. No, for one, because there's a disconnect of trust in the community already with the police. And then to have them in school with you is it puts the kids on edge being around them. And on top of that, you have the you have the police officers who are just overly aggressive. You know, everything is a power struggle. I got to show you that I'm in a position of authority and you are not. And, And I just I just feel like having them there makes the kids. They they might act okay while they're around the police, but at the same time, they don't trust them and they don't 
like them. And then like if something do happen, a fight might break out. Whereas it's a normal fight, you know, kids be kids. They do have fights uh, or arguments or whatever. A simple breakup, take it to the principal's office, talk to them, suspend them, whatever the protocol is that could normally happen with the police there. You might have the police there, you know, body slamming or pepper spraying or just overly aggressive with the kids. So I, I don't agree with them being there. I, I do like having the presence of them maybe after school because of maybe something that might be going on in the neighborhood or depending on where the school is or something like that. But having them active in the school, deployed in the school all day. I know when I was in high school and I went to a CPS school, there was a police office in our school, you know, uh, and we had at least four or five officers at all times in the school. And I went to Chas. Chicago High School for Ag Science, which didn't have a lot of fights and, and game banging and violence. It didn't have a lot of that there. So it was like, what do we need for the police to be there? You're getting paid to sit there and do nothing almost. And even when it was, like like I said before, the, the consequences with the police and the students was different because there was so many different races in the school. Whereas like if I have a fight, with a, a white student, the white student probably go to the office calmly, get talked to and go back to class, whereas I might end up in handcuffs on my way to the station for my parents to come pick me up. So for me, having the police in the school presents a very stressful state for the kids. So we know that you are a security guard for the school, Denzel. So how do you present a safer option than a police officer? Well, we we go through a nice amount of um, trainings in the beginning of the year, during the year, at the end of the year, they send us to quite a few different trainings, to de-escalation trainings, uh, just to deal with kids. And for the most part, most kids, well, because I'm at, a gram- at the grammar school, of course, most kids are not bigger than me. They're not stronger than me. So they're not able to overpower me. Not, like, <laughs> and, no, but but in, in in some of these high schools, some of these kids are bigger than the security or are stronger than them. But for me, it's like how you present yourself. Like I'm mm-hmm. a fun, I'm a fun person. I like having fun. I like cracking jokes. Even if it is with kids, I feel like if you if you are very receptive to the kids coming to you and got a good relationship with the kids then you won't have a problem with de-escalating them from something they, they might be having an argument or they also train us on like just paying attention. Like if you see a child come in in the morning, you know, you know this kid because you see him every day, but this one in particular day, this child had, has a look on his face like something's wrong. How to pull that child to the side and just talk to him before anything can escalate out of the situation. You know, even if it's as little as they having a small problem at home and you hold them out their first class just to, you know, get them to calm down, talking to them and letting them release or just listening. A lot of times it's just listening, listening to their problem because at home they probably don't have anyone to listen to them. They probably just have someone barking at them all the time. So if you if you if you're that listening ear for them and they able to get it out, sometimes they feel better. And, and they'll go on about their day without causing problems or anything like that. And, and sometimes you just got to empathize with the kids and their situations at home. 
You know, everybody's not in a, a very fortunate situation to have two loving parents that take care of them well and not, you know, and sometimes you just got to be that person that they able to come to when they can't go to their mother or their father. So you got to build a relationship with them is what you're saying. You got to build that relationship with them. That's why I I think like uh, Miss Parker with a couple of students that you had, <laughs> <Right. laughs> uh, <laughs> I built a relationship with them, you know, where you was able to call me to come get that mm-hmm. kid because that kid was constantly doing something. And I was able to, I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to get him straight. I'm going to calm him down. You're going to do this, go to work, you know, and had him look at certain things in, in, in a way that you wasn't there to hurt him. You wasn't there to disrespect him. You was there to teach him. And, you know, you can't be all hostile and angry because at home you're getting treated a certain way because your mother maybe don't care or she just upset at you all the time. Some of them just need love and I try to be just that common voice or that common person with them without being hostile and always trying to be the authority on them. Right. And this is important because, yeah, right, Miss, uh, Mr. Sanders, we, I'm, all, I'm used to calling Mr. Sanders, but Denzel does not come to the class. If I call him, he's not like coming with a show of force. He's not coming with a billy club and, you know, with his fist trying to hurt because he's not looking at the students like criminals. He's looking at them like students. And he also, like he said, he's been at the school for 12 years, so he has a relationship with them. And again, he's not detaching himself from the students, but attaching themselves to the students so he can de-escalate because our children are not criminals. Yes, they have emotional issues. They sometimes have behavioral issues. But again, you can't just look at the what all the time. You got to look at the why. And so that is why de-escalation is important. That's why understanding students are important. And that's why being trained are important. It's sad that um, Denzel has his training, but I don't think police officers have that same training with our students. No, I mean, that's a, that's an excellent point. I mean, police officers, whether you are in favor of defunding or not, they're trained to deal with criminals. And if my training is just to deal with criminals and then you put me in a school full of kids, that doesn't make any sense. You know, that is not what they're trained to do. They're trained to do something entirely different. And, you know, what what uh, security guards are trained to do is to de-escalate a situation. They don't have that power struggle. They don't have to prove they're tougher than the next guy or whatever. One of the most effective security guards we had at my school, at King High School, was a, a guy named Reuben Norris. Uh, you, you may know him. He he is not a big guy. He is maybe five foot tall. He's, I think I just went to his 84th birthday. And he could stop a giant kid in his tracks because of the relationship he had built with this person. It wasn't about pepper spray or billy clubs or having a tank or gun or any of that. It was about that he knows this person. He probably knew their grandma and their mom and all those people too. So that helps. And when you're in a community for that long and you build those relationships, that's the kind of training we need in a school. It's not what the police are trained to do. They're trained to do some other stuff. What we need are people who are trained to deal with kids in the situations kids find themselves on a regular basis. So last question, um, CPS spends $33 million a year to put armed police officers in schools. Um, do you all think that there should be defunding? So that means that we just get rid of police out of the school and we put that money elsewhere. What are your thoughts about that? I do believe that uh, CPS should defund uh, the use of police officers in Chicago public schools for all of the reasons that Denzel just said. 
and for all the reasons that Jim just mentioned and you as well, uh, Ms. Parker. So I, I do believe that uh, we should defund. They are not in a position where they are trained to deal with these types of situations. Security guards are trained to do more with less. And I think security and uh, I, I believe that uh, police officers, they go to what they know and they've got a tool belt and they know how to use it, whether that's handcuffs, whether that's tasers, uh, et cetera. Now, that situation that uh, you mentioned about the 16 year old, I mean, this is a 16 year old female. I saw the video. I saw the officers. They were fully capable of handling this uh, young woman in another way other than tasing her and dragging her down the stairs. And that's what I mean. That's a situation that, that um, you know, I, I I just don't think, uh, you know, security guards would necessarily find themselves in uh, time over time. Well, for one, they're not carrying tasers. So you can scratch that off the list right, off, right away. Um, I also find it, and, and I don't know all the ins and outs of this, but I find it incredible that CPS is actually paying for these police officers' time as two city organizations, um, knowing that we have the shortages that we have. The fact that as two city organizations, uh, we might be getting paid from different buckets, so to speak, but we're all city employees. You have officers that are working a variety of different beats across the 70-some-odd neighborhoods across the city. Uh, are these neighborhoods responsible for paying for the, the, the policing of their communities? Or is this, a, is this something that, I mean, we're talking budget issues now at this point, but I just don't understand how CPS ends up footing the bill for this when essentially, in my mind, being a school, if you're, if you're policing a, a particular community and that school is in your precinct, then that should fall under the budget that pays for that precinct. And again, and again I don't know all of these, I, I don't know the ins and outs of this. But uh, it's just something that cro- that I find hard to believe. And so for that reason, knowing that CPS has the budget shortfalls that we do have and knowing that police officers aren't trained to deal with with uh, young men and women who are oftentimes don't know how to deal with their emotions. That's something there's a lot of adults that don't know how to deal with their emotions. And that's something that takes a long time to to get a, a, a grasp on, you know, being an adult and knowing how long it took for me to get there. And so, yeah, I definitely agree that defunding the police to, uh, police presence in Chicago public schools would be appropriate. I think to uh, Mr. Sanders' point, there's a time and a place, and and there are situations where that would be justified on a regular basis, on a daily basis, other than maybe at dismissal or arrival. I don't see it being a necessity. Um, my my opinion. $33 million that could do so much more for kids inside the school. Like $33 million, that's a lot. And I know schools need a lot more than to give $33 million to police officers where they could give it to the, invest in the kids. Like my youngest two sons, they go to learn charter school. Every classroom has a smart board. Every classroom has, they have certain, every, every student has a iPad. Every student, like, they're funding their school for the future of the those kids. So why are we not taking that $33 million and investing into the future of our kids, you know, instead of to the police officers who pretty much are doing nothing in the school? Because for the most part, there's not a lot of violence in CPS where police officers are needed. 
You might have some fights. Well, security officers can handle that. That's what we do. That's what we get paid for. Yes, if we need the police call, we we do have the one liaison from the station that can send someone over or the sergeant or whatever to send over when we need that. But like we don't hear about a lot of weapons in the schools anymore. We don't hear about we got the most schools have metal detectors, especially high schools. They have the metal detectors. I know from my son going to diet, everyone who walks in that school has to go through the metal detectors. But I, I shouldn't have to go through the metal detectors and get patted down by the police just to go to the main office and get an early dismissal for my chat. <laughs> right. You know, um, <laughs> well, they, I mean, S- Sanders, to your point, I mean, look, like uh, I think I think Jim mentioned this when you're talking about uh, police officers being trained to deal with criminals and then your son uh, and other students at, at schools like Diet and, and other high schools around the city are going through this. Th- these kids are old enough to know that that police officers deal with criminals. I mean, subliminal or otherwise, what does that say to them? What sort of message does that send them? Exactly. And, and my biggest thing with him now, now he's driving. You know, he's going he to have his license. I got him a car. So now it's like I'm more worried now than I was when he was just growing up to this age because I can't be with him. Normally he's with me. I could protect him. But when he when he leaves this house now by himself and go with his friends or go out to the mall, now I can't protect him. I can't. Mm-hmm. I, I can only. It's like what I taught him is all he know. And I got to trust that what I taught him well enough to deal with certain instances. Like I tell him, if the police pull you over, your hand should be on the steering wheel until they come to the car. When they come to the car, they ask for your license stuff, ask them permission like they your daddy mm. to get your license and your registration and everything to give it to him. Like, I don't I don't feel like that's something I should have to teach him to do to deal with a human being. You know, he's a young man. They wouldn't want no one to treat their kids like that. It's like I, I got to tell him, don't be scared, but be aware. Yeah. Make sure when you when you pull off your seatbelt is on. Your, your, I, I told him your license and your insurance should be in your headrest. I want it in your headrest so it's when they come, you're not in danger of reaching for your glove box and they think you reach for something else. And then you shot. I don't like having that conversation. I know I got to have it two more times with my youngest two kids, but it's like, it's it's very stressful and scary just for my son to go out and have fun. Right. When, uh, just as a difference here, like I remember when I first learned to drive, all I wanted for my 16th birthday was my my driver's license. I grew up in the suburbs. My dad had a conversation with me about if I got pulled over by the cops, but it's very different. Come from a different community. My dad said, if you ever get pulled over by the cops, I'm going to beat your ass and you're never driving the car again. (laughs) (laughs) Right? That's what he told me. And and my dad, my dad's a pretty big guy. So, you know, you don't want to play with that. But it's just a whole different expectation of what my interaction Mm -hmm. would be. It's the assumption that if I got pulled over, I must be playing around. That they're mm-hmm. not pulling you over unless you did something stupid. So stop doing stupid stuff, you know? And it's just so totally different. And that expectation and that relationship that's built within the community. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and, and however you feel about that part, they, this, these people should not be in the schools. They, are, they, yeah. they should not be handling the school. They can't even handle a, a, the traffic ticket half the damn time. They should not be trying to handle like a kid who's got – some emotional problem today because the girl he liked looked at another dude. 
Like that should not be policed. You know, right. that's why we right. need counselors and psychologists. Right. And this $33 million, that could pay to put an extra psychologist and counselor in every single high school here in Chicago. And I mm-hmm. guarantee you, they are not going to be tasing anybody. Right. I was just at a, right. um, I was just at a protest yesterday at Hyde Park, which is my uh, alma mater and my son. And the gradu- um, the graduating class just put on a march about defunding police because they were saying the same thing that you just said is that they could use those funds to hire more counselors, psychologists, and even have programs at the school. It's sad that in some schools, you have more police officers, like Denzel Sun said, two or three a day, where you don't even have a counselor there every day or a nurse there every single day. They have to go from, to different schools, and that's not fair. Or just putting more programs in the schools, like more sports programs, more music programs, more trade programs. Um, Those things that I had when I was in school that is not at Hyde Park now. And so if you had more of these things, you had kids more involved and they had a better sense of belonging and you met their needs, they would not need a police officer. One girl there was talking about how she had a friend who had thoughts of suicide and she was trying to go get help and nobody was there to help her. How you have a school when you have students with all these emotional needs and there's nobody there to assist you, but yeah, you got three or four cops. And I would hate for a cop to deal with somebody who is suicidal because they don't know how to deal with that person emotionally. Right. And, and I mean, you know, to be fair, that's not their that's not in their job description. Right. So that that's that's not what they're what they're trained to do. I think another thing, too, is a lot of our students come from communities where they're already being surveilled. Right. So on the on the on the corner, on the street lights, they got cameras. You go to school, there's cameras. There's police officers in the school. There's police officers when you get there. There's police officers while you're in there. There's police officers when you leave. You go back home. You got uh, you've got cameras and they're surveilling you. And sometimes they got the the big uh, going back to the militarization piece. They got these big RVs uh, pulled up sitting in people's uh, parking lots uh, for days at a time. I think it's a fear tactic, and I just don't think it's a, the right message to be sending to our students and and. Denzel, for you and your son, it's like most people have to worry about if their child is mature enough to handle a motor vehicle and do the right things and not get themselves and their friends hurt or somebody else killed. Right. You have that worry. Uh, and, And Andrea, you have a son of your own. So, you know, this as well. So you have that worry on top of worrying about what if they get stopped by the police Mm -hmm. and it's almost more, I don't know which one is more worrisome. I don't have a son of my own, but I don't know. And maybe y'all can speak to that. I don't know which one of those things is more worrisome. And it's not even if they get pulled over by the cops, it's when, because they're going to get pulled over. They're going (laughs) to get pulled over. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. It's a great point. Right. And that, that, and to your point, um, that's like one of the reasons why, like when I went to go get him a car, it was certain cars he he was just in love with. Well, no, you can't you can't have that car. Like he, I, I bought a Malibu, Miss Park, just like yours. And <laughs> man got man got uh, it got tint all around, dark tint. He 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 wants that car so bad, but I had to tell him like you can't have it unless I pull all the tint off of it. And it's like, right. but I like the tint. Well, but I don't want mm-hmm. you to be profiled because of the tint. You know, the first right. thing somebody going to say is what you had behind the tent. Exactly. The reason why you got all this tent and and like his mom, like, now nah, we're going to get him this car is 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 
No tent. It's, it, they can see straight through it. It don't look like a gangbanger car or a, a street person cop. And like you said, Mr. Martin, like, as far as which one is more worrisome, honestly, it's just I want my son to come home every night. That's all I can think about is like when you leave out this door, I just need you to walk back through this door. Like, I know I'm doing a good job of raising him to be a good man, but like I always tell him, it ain't him that I'm worried about. It's everybody else around you that I'm worried that I, I don't have no say so in how they being raised or how they operate, you know. So like that's my biggest uh, concern with him. Make sure you walk back through my door at night or in the evening or when you leave school or whatever. I want you home. And I think that's part of the reason why I put a GPS on the car. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be able to get to you or know where you at. And like he's not allowed to cut his location off on his phone. As long as I'm paying the bill, your location on is on is on that phone. So I if I want to find you, I can find you. It's worrisome because. I know I got to do it two more times with two more boys. So it's like right when I think I'm I'm done with it, my nine year old will be getting ready to get his license and go through the whole same process all over again. And then my youngest son again. So I, I'm thankful to have the help that I have with my wife and you know um, my siblings and all that. They help me, but it's still a very stressful situation. Yeah. Well, well, thank you all so much, Denzel and Ken, for being a part of the show today. You all had definitely enlightened stories. I hope that our listeners will take heed and they will have a revelation of what it really means to um, be a person of color in this world and be pulled over by the cops or being even students of color and just being uh, inundated with cops, even in your school. So hopefully um, the mayor will listen to this podcast and she will have... she would change her mind in terms of defunding police from the Chicago public schools. So thank you, Denzel. Thank you, Ken, so much for being a part of this podcast. And hopefully you will come back for some future ones. That'd be great. Sure. Yeah, thanks for having us. I absolutely will. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of CTU Speaks with Ms. Parker, myself, and our two wonderful guests. Yes. I hope that you were enlightened and you learned a lot. And I hope that what you heard today will bring that activist out of you and that you will do your best to support getting CPD out of CPS. They need to be um, reinvested in in the education aspect so they can be innovation in our schools and not fear. That's right. Let the police do what they were trained for and let teachers and counselors and social workers do what they were trained to do. Right. And on the the same note, we've got a couple announcements we want to make. One is June 24th. Don't forget about the National Day of Action through Black Lives Matter called Education Equity or Else, where I'm sure they will also be talking about the presence of police officers in the public schools. And continue to listen to our podcast. Our podcast can be played on any podcasting platform. So please sign up and tell your friends and become subscribers. If you want to yeah. call us, we can be found at 312-467-8888. And you can also email us. Oh, I'm sorry. No. Go ahead, Ms. Parker. You go to the email. It's all you. And you can email us at ctuspeaks at ctulocal1.com. Or give us a compliment, give us some story ideas, and we would love to have them. And until next time, we are CTU Speaks with Andrea and Jen, where we only speak what matters.